I need to thank my friend Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA. Right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A-M-I-N. Romanhome.com. And uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you. This is episode 135 of the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans. I'm your host. Thanks for taking a listen today. I appreciate you tuning in, and and I hope you I hope you get something good out of these questions that I got lined up for you. Uh, we're going to do a Mule Tip Tuesday episode. It is Tuesday, November second, and uh, if you if you have a question, don't be shy. Send me an email, ty at tsmeals.com, and we will try to get your question on the show. I appreciate you writing in, uh, and I'm here to help you guys. I, I hope all of you listening know that. I, I sincerely mean that. I really want to help, and, and uh, you know, if you're having some trouble with your mule or your horse or your donkey, um, I want you to get along better. So that's what I'm here for. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about a, a little topic to discuss today, maybe something that would be of value to you, um, I come across a quote and I don't know, I don't know where I heard it. I think I might've heard it from Martin Black, um, but I'm not positive. I didn't, I didn't write down who said it, um, but I have it in my notebook here. Uh, basically the quote says, when you know what you are looking for, then you know when it's not there. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I thought, man, that's a uh, that's so true. Um, when you th- there's a big learning curve um, throughout all of this, and I've just looked back on, you know, my lifetime of of writing. You know, um, I don't I don't remember the first time I wrote. I was writing when I was a baby you know, just a, a child, a little baby, you know, and uh, I don't, I don't remember the first time I rode and I don't, I don't remember a lot of little things coming up, you know, through the years that uh, a lot of adults remember, you know, a lot of adults that start, started riding as an adult, they remember the first horse they rode and they remember his name and all these things. I don't, I don't remember that. And Thinking back, um, as I've learned and as I've progressed in my own mulemanship, horsemanship journey, um, I've kind of learned that uh, you just don't know what you don't know. And, you know, it's funny, I, I often talk about this in in our clinics at times. I'll say, you know, I look back on videos that I made just a decade ago, you know, just 10 years ago, maybe a mule I had for sale. And I had, you know, in the video, I had uh, talked about the mule having a good stop or turning good or doing something. And I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was not good. You thought you had such a good stop, such a good handle on that mule and to to my standards today, I wouldn't even call some of those mules anything past green, you know, because my standards have changed so much over a decade. And I expect another decade more that there'll be even, even higher standards. I sure hope so. You know, as I learn. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, why did I think it was such a good handle then? What what made me think that it was so great then? And and I and I can contribute that to a few things. It's standards, you know, comparing it to the mules that I had ridden and the horses that I had been around, 
and comparing it to the people that I rode with and the people that I hung around. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty they were pretty good mules if you if you compare it to my old standards and to the people that I hung around 10 years ago and um you know my lifestyle then. But today it's like I said those mules be would still be green maybe barely. <laughs> so you know back to this quote when you know what you're looking for then you know when it's not there. Over these years, I've had the opportunity now to develop a little bit of feel. I'm getting better at it. I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm getting better at developing this feel and searching for the all these magical words, right? The softness, the lightness, the willingness, you know, um, the life. I'm getting better at building these and feeling for them. And... I have a better idea of what I'm looking for. So when it's not there, I know what to do. To build it in there. To bring it back. Or to bring it forth. But you got to know what you're looking for. And, and well, how, how do you know what you're looking for? Well, just accept the fact that what you're looking for is going to change. Like I said, a decade ago... I thought those mules that I had for sale were really something special. Now, <laughs> not so much. Uh, but that's what I was looking for at the point. At that point, that's that's what I wanted. Well, good. Now it's different, and it's going to be the same thing for you. What you're looking for today is not going to be the same as what you're going to be looking for five or ten years from now. And that's good that it should be that way. You should always be improving, wanting to get better. Your standards should be getting sharper and higher. And, uh, you know, when you have a little understanding of maybe how you want a side pass to feel, you know, all the elements of a side pass, the collection, the balance move, when you, when you have, when you have all this, idea of what you're looking for then you know for sure when it's not not there and then you can adjust to fit the situation so that you can help it be there that's so important you know when you know what a turnaround should feel like when the mule gets back on his haunches and moves that front end freely when there's no brace in the reins when there's float in the reins you know one thing that if you recall, you will recall if you have been to one of my clinics is how much emphasis I put on that loose rein through your moves, trying to get your seat and your legs to have a little bit more meaning that loose rein. This is something that we, we hammer on quite a lot in the clinics. And, uh, you know, so when you have, when you have these standards of, that loose rein and and what you're looking for there, then you know when it's not there. And when, when you're when you're paying attention to that loose rein, you know when it's not there. And that's just one of those things that comes with time is building that awareness, knowing when when they're soft, when they're not, when they're light, when they're not, when that float leaves that rein, and when it's there, when you have that awareness. It, it, it changes the game too. Knowing how you want the mule to feel when you ride it. I mean, how they feel. I'm not talking about how they feel to you, although that's part of it. But I'm talking right now about how, how they feel. Understanding how they feel and knowing how you want them to feel when you're riding them. Then you'll know when, when they're not feeling that way. But you got to pay attention to it. Maybe that's something that a lot of you have never thought about. I tell you, it's something that I didn't think about for a long time. But how do I want the mule to feel while I'm riding them? Like I said, not how I want them to feel to me, but how do they feel? What are their feelings? Are they comfortable with you? Are they happy to be with you? Are they looking for a way out of the situation? Are they, is it a little resentful? How do you want them to feel 
while you're riding. And that's something that a lot of us just never have thought about. I know because I was the same way. So when you know what you're looking for, then you know when it's not there. So my tip for this Mule Tip Tuesday episode is to think about what it is that you're looking for when you ride your animal. What do you want out of this? When you figure out what you want out of this, then you need to also decide what is my meal going to get out of this. So there you go. I'd love to know what you think of these Meal Tip Tuesdays. If you uh, would be so kind as to leave us a review, uh, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. Tell me what you think. If you don't listen on Apple, then uh, just send me an email, ty at tsmeals.com, and let me know how you like the podcast. And we'll keep on doing these for you. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive into some of these questions. We've got some great questions today from all over the country and the world, really. Uh, first question comes from Karen Long. Hey, Ty, I have a 13-year-old Molly, great trail mule, but I can't get her to cross a bridge as the first mule in line. She will follow, but will not go first. Any tips on how to get her to go first? Okay, Karen. Yeah, you know, uh, most mules will follow just about anywhere. Um, you know, it's rare these days that we have troubles with mules not wanting to at least follow the rest of the herd through something, through water, through bridges, over bridges, you know, through rocks, whatever. But leading is a different story for sure. You know, uh the one thing that I would really focus on with your mule, Karen, is getting those yeses consistently. A lot of times we kind of ride along and we're going down the trail and we don't ask a lot of questions and we're just kind of enjoying the scenery, poking along the trail. And then we get to something that the mule is having a hard time with and they say no. And it becomes a big deal. It's the little yeses along the way that will build their confidence. It starts when I catch them, getting them ready to catch. Think about this, you guys. Did your mule say yes to being caught today? If they met you at the gate and wanted to stick their nose in the halter, that's a pretty good yes for the day. If you walked out there and they're already starting to avoid you, their head goes up, ears go, you know, kind of back to you, they start walking away, they're you know, they're, they're worried about you. You're starting off with some nose. So you got to, it starts when you catch them, the way you approach them, get those yeses. Uh, how were they to saddle? Get those yeses to saddle. Were they saddling willingly or did they blow up with a bunch of air and hold their breath, hang back on the lead rope on the trailer? Are you getting yeses when you saddle? Are you getting yeses when you put the head stall on? You shoving that bit in their mouth, or are you letting them open their mouth and take to take the bit? They tipping their nose to you. They have their head down. Are you getting yeses to bridle them? Are you getting yeses in your groundwork, Karen? So as you as you were working this thirteen year old before you got on it, did you go through your groundwork checklist and get those easy, so easy to get yeses on the ground? Did you get a yes to clear the front? Did you get a yes? to a loose rein in your center circles? Did you get a yes to roll the hinds and roll the fronts? Did you get a yes for your groundwork? And then you go on to, did you get a yes to stand still to mount? If they're walking off on you, friends, that is not a yes to stand still to mount. If they're worried about you, that is not a yes to stand still to mount. Did you get a yes to stand still to mount? Okay, then you go through your riding checklist. As you're going down the trail, you don't have to sit at the trailhead and go through your riding checklist. You do this going down the trail. Are they centered? Can you move the hinds both ways? Can you move the front both ways? Can you get your soft feel? Can you get your stop? Can you get your back? Can you get your transitions? Do you have yeses on all these simple, simple, simple riding exercises? Do you get? Do you have yeses to those? And then can you take your mule over there and go around that bush? Are they saying yes to going around that rock? Are they saying yes to leg yielding to the left? Are they saying yes to side passing to the right? Are they saying yes to open that gate? Are they saying yes to go in the front, to go in the back, to go in the middle of the herd, 
Are they saying yes to go off the trail? So you're getting, I'm working to get yeses all the time, all the time, all the time. Then when we get to an obstacle that may be a little uncomfortable, then you might have a better chance at getting your yeses. Now, if I get to this bridge here and you say, this meal will cross as long as it's not the first to go. This is how I would handle it in that immediate situation. So say you you were going through all that, you were getting your yeses. Okay, the mule's willing, but maybe a little worried about this bridge. That's fine. I would send somebody across first, but I'm not going to do the dude string thing, okay? I'm not going to do the dude string thing where I got the mule's nose right to their butt and follow them over. I might let that mule go, and I might hold my mule back a little bit. And then I might try to cross by myself. If that is too much, then yes, I'll bring the other mule back and I'll get a little closer to it, try to follow it over. And I might have to follow that mule over and over, back and forth. All these obstacles, it's not a one-time deal done. I'll take my time. If I, I might have to spend the rest of the day at this bridge and, and that's fine. That doesn't bother me. So I might follow that person back and forth a little while. And then pretty soon I'll get to where the person's on the other side of the bridge and then I can get it to get the mule to cross the bridge without having to directly follow them. And I'll work through that for a little while. So I'd have the person go across, and then I, I wait till they're all the way across, and then I go across, and then I have the person go back across the bridge by themselves, and I wait, and as soon as the person's across, then I go across. And I'll do it like that for a little while. And then I get to where that person will cross and come back over with me and is behind me, and I will go across the bridge and have that person follow me. And I'll go go around like that for a little while until eventually my mule's just really willingly going over that bridge. So you might have to spend a little while right there at the bridge. Now, if you're having trouble getting them to cross, period, which it says in your email, uh, you didn't say that. You said that it would cross. So the first little example I give you should be just fine. But say you was by yourself and you need to cross this bridge to get to where you're going. You know, then all of your work beforehand is going to come into play. You know, your preparation before. How centered is the mule? How well can it move off of your legs, the hinds and the fronts? How well are your transitions? How well do you have that mule centered and handy? Because then you pretty much open and close doors. So say you, you want to cross the bridge and the mule's like, no. And, and it, it refuses to move. They just are stuck. They're frozen. Well, the first thing you do is get their feet moving. In some way, you got to get some kind of yes. It doesn't have to be a yes necessarily toward the bridge, but I need some kind of yes while I'm going. Uh, I got to get some kind of movement. I got to get that mule's mind saying yes. So I might, I might not be able to cross the bridge right now, but I say, hey, can you move the hinds? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Can you move the front? Can you do a turnaround? Can you side pass for me? Can you leg yield for me? Can you do little haunches in for me? Can you trot a couple of circles here for me? Can I lope you up and down the trail here for a second? Can I get some yeses? And then you come back to the bridge and you try to make that bridge as easy as it, as it can be. When they're willingly going toward the bridge, life needs to be pretty good too. This is something else I see is people will kick and kick and kick. And as the mule is going toward the bridge, they keep on kicking. There's got to be a relief in there somewhere. So say my mule's really worried about the bridge. I might take them away from the bridge, maybe 15, 20 foot back, and I might just get some yeses out of them back there. And also kind of get them moving. Get them kind of a little bit busy. I'm not going to necessarily work them, but I'm going to get them moving. I'm going to go through some of my moves and see what I can do to practice some of these important pieces anyways. And then I'm going to ride back to the bridge, and life is going to be totally peaceful closer to the bridge. All right? So that's kind of how I'd handle a few of the situations. And then remember, just because they did it once doesn't make it a thing, for the better or for the worse. So help the mule to find peace near the bridge. Don't just fly over it once. You want to work that until they get a little, little lighter, a little quieter. But don't make it miserable. Don't get after them. Don't get ticked off at them. Try not to get frustrated. Try to see it from their point of view. They're not, you know, the mule doesn't have a large frontal lobe. So they're not just saying no to just piss you off. <laughs> they're not just trying to make you mad. They are saying no because they have, remember, they have the false positive bias. They Everything is dangerous until they prove otherwise. 
Everything is. A, a, a Coke can is dangerous until they prove it otherwise. Every rock, every bush, everything is dangerous until they decide it's not. So help them. Make the right thing as easy as possible. Thanks for the question, Karen. Uh, let me know what you think. Okay, uh, the next question comes from Kathy Harth. Hello, Ty and Sky. I have a question about the soft feel. I am working with Leah on the soft feel, and when I apply the even and consistent pressure to her snaffle bit and wait for her to show me a bend in her pole, she shakes her head side to side at the exact moment she gives it the pole. I have been immediately uh, giving back the reins when that happens because she is bending at the pole. Should I not give until she gives without the head shake? Should I continue as is, hoping the head shake will extinguish? Thank you for taking a moment to answer my question. Thanks for the question, Kathy. Uh, all right. So the first thing I'm going to do, Kathy, is just get that, get Leah here uh, punctual at just giving the soft feel, picking up the soft feel. I don't care if she shakes her head. I don't care if there's even a little elevation change, higher or lower, but just that she gives at the pole, I'm going to release and, and reward her for doing that. Even if she head shakes, whatever. Okay. You got to get your punctualness first before you get your precision. As soon as you have that punctualness, then you can start working on that the preciseness of it. So what you'll do after some time, once that punctualness is there, is you'll pick up that soft feel, and maybe Leah shakes her head, just keep holding. Even if she did bend at the pole, just keep holding until the head's quiet. And you'll find that she might quiet her head, and then there's probably still a little bit more left to give. So wait for that to take place. As soon as she gives without shaking the head, then release as fast as you can. Push those reins forward. It's not just a matter of letting go with your hands. I want you to shove those reins forward. Anyways, it'll, it'll get better with time. So punctualness before precision. Thanks for the question, Kathy. Let me know what you think. All right. Next question here comes from Hunter Hollenbeck. Hello, Ty. I'm having some trouble with my mule. Um, I have two yearlings I've been doing groundwork with. It's been going good, but the, but the other day I tried your hooking on exercise with one of them. She would take a few steps toward me and then stop. I did this for, I did this for two hours until it got so dark I couldn't see. She made a few more steps than usual. I was going to let her go. But then she wouldn't let me approach her, when I, and when I did, she freaked out, and now I can't get close to her. She used to be friendly and easy to catch, but I can't even get close to her. I ended up leaving her in the round pen overnight and coming back early the next morning. I'm still in high school, and I thought I gave myself enough time, but I didn't, and I wasn't able to catch her before I had to leave. I tried again that night and got her, got her to sniff my hand, but she won't let me touch her. I tried again the next morning, but I don't know what to do. I watched your video on catching with quality, but she won't let me get close. I'm pretty worried I wrecked a really promising mule. What can I do to fix this? Thank you. Great question, Hunter. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now and thank some sponsors. And when I come back, I will answer your question. Hang tight. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine, and uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little, and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So... Hey, be sure to check them out, mulesmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mulesmore.com. We are back with our Mule Tip Tuesday episode. Um, Hunter Hollenbeck just had a question about the hooking on process uh, with, with a yearling mule. And uh, basically he was going through this process and it seemed as if the mule was getting worse. Now we can't catch the mule. She seems worried about him. And, uh, so he wants some help on this. So I'm going to give a few tips to Hunter here. So 
first thing, Hunter, um, in your in your email here, you wrote that you worked at this for about two hours, um, and that's that'd be the first red flag to you. I don't with my yearlings. I don't do the. I don't really do much of the hooking on process unless they are already. Maybe they're just freaking butt wild, and uh, you know they're they're just they've just been completely wild. Then I might do a little bit of hooking on, but if they're already broke to basically follow you on the lead rope, if if you ha- if you can catch them, put the halter on normally, um, and just kind of get along with them, I'm not going to go through the hooking on process until I start them under saddle, really. And and these days I really only do the hooking on process mostly the first few rounds of the colt starting phase, the first couple of rides, I'll go through that. Um, but most of my work is done on the end of that lead rope. So I would recommend that after you can get this animal caught again, which I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to do that, uh, that you just kind of stick with the basic halter driving checklist, the groundwork checklist, until you get ready to start riding. Now, usually when you're having trouble with the hooking on process, there, there's a few common things that come up. Number one is, is we get too caught up in driving the mule away to begin with. Okay. We, we make that way too big a deal. We, we dive into that way too deep and we kind of get into this predator predator mode, and we're going to drive them away. We're going to get them to walk and trot and lope, and and you get to hustle them too much. I like to start really small increments. So I just begin at a walk. Just get the mule to walk away from you. Just kind of get him to walk, get him to go a little bit. And the key on getting them ready to stop is is letting them run the show. They they run the show. They call the shots. They tell you when they're ready. And it's your job to pay attention to those signs and be aware so that you know when they're ready. Well, what are some signs that they're ready to maybe look for a stop or maybe they're interested in drawing into you? You look for a little flick of the ear towards you. That inside ear, you like that inside ear on you. You, you watch for them to kind of tip their nose to you a little bit. You're looking for them to maybe come off of the, the round pen fence a little bit, a little closer to you. They're shortening their circle a little bit. Maybe they want to cut a little bit uh, across. Um, any little sign, maybe they slow down in their body. You just see the, a little life change. They might still be walking or trotting or loping, but you'll see a little softening happen in their body to where it's not a flight type response, but they're slowing down and they're kind of getting comfortable in the move. You look for all these opportunities to stop. And then your body position makes a huge difference on the quality of your stopping and your catching. When you want to stop, it's important that you draw back away from the animal first. So if I'm sending the mule around in the round pen to the left, which is counterclockwise, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take a couple of steps back off of, off of the fence, away from the fence, because I'm in the middle of the mules on the fence. I'm going to step further away from that mule. I'm going to step back, but then I'm going to step back and to my left. So I get back off the mule. So I pull the pressure off of the mule first. And then I step a little to my left, which which positions me in front of the mule's left shoulder. And this will cause the stop. Or if you're if you didn't take enough pressure off, you're just going to cause them to turn. So drawing back first, And then in front of the shoulder is key. If you just step in front of the shoulder, which I see a lot of people do, they'll just step in front of the shoulder and kind of cut the mule off. You you didn't take the pressure off. In fact, you put more pressure on and you probably just sent the mule the other way. All right. So you, you want to draw back first before you step in front of the shoulder. That's so key on the body position. 
And like I said, take it slow through this. Take it really slow and quiet. And remember, the, the main thing about the hooking on that I'm looking for is, number one, is to kind of build that relationship. Get them to where they're a little bit more interested in me. But also to work on my transitions. Transitions are probably one of the top reasons for me to even go through the hooking on process at all these days is transitions, packing that saddle typically. All right. But I'm looking for those small little efforts from the mule. Two two hours is way, way, way too long for a yearling. All right. If it's if it's getting if it's getting on past about 15 minutes, it's too long. Um and if you're not finding a great place to stop. You know, pushing that two hours, trying to find a better place to stop, you know, you might have made things worse than had you just kind of quit at 15 minutes and, you know, with just mediocre results. So what would I do now, Hunter, with this yearling? Number one, I'm not going to do the hooking on for a little while. Don't worry about that. Just go back to building a little bit of relationship here, okay? It's a yearling too. Remember, you got all the time in the world. There, there's no timeline. There's no deadline right now uh, for this yearling. You don't have to get it hooking on today. You don't have to even get it caught today. Go back in there. Today, I'd maybe walk out in that round pin with that yearling in there. And I'm just going to walk in there and hang out and just let curiosity take place. Just walk in there and stand against the rail. Just hang out right there. Let that curiosity come into play. Just Watch what the mule's doing. Watch the way it moves. Watch the way it's curious about you. Um, and when the mule kind of walks towards you, say it's, say you're on, you're right there by the, you walked in the gate and you're, you're right there on the gate and the mule's making a clockwise rotation around the round pen towards you. As it's coming closer towards you clockwise, you would also go clockwise, so you you fade a little bit away from that animal, just a little bit. Don't walk fast, but just just fade a little bit away, and that'll even draw that mule even even more so. That curiosity, it'll draw them in more because then they'll realize that okay, you're not in a an aggressive, you're not in an aggressive position. You're not trying to drive them. You're not trying to push them. In fact, you're almost kind of yielding. And that's going to draw that yearling in really, really nicely. And don't try to pet it. Don't try to catch it. You know, sometimes we go out there and we want to catch these mules. And just our, our attitude about wanting to get the halter on them is predatory. We, we want to catch them, get a hold of them. You know, take your time. I was talking to somebody that was working on, uh, working with a, a weanling on catching and, and this individual had roped the animal and I, you know, I, well, what'd you do when you got roped? Well, I hung on and it drug me around. <laughs> well, I don't have a problem with roping mules. All of my mules will be roped. Um, and I'm going to rope off of all of my mules for sure. My mules get very familiar with the rope. I can't have them scared because they're all going to be ranch mules. They're all going to work cattle. They're all going to rope. Um, and I have no problem getting them roped and, and, uh, working through that. I think that's important. But when I get a rope on one of these weanlings, one of these yearlings, I ain't trying to hold on to the thing. In fact, I get a rope on it, and then I go with it. And so if you needed to rope this little yearling, that's not, that's not a problem there, but you make sure you kind of do things right. Number one, you'd have a stop knot in that rope so that it would not ever tighten around its neck. That is one of the number one pe mistake people make with roping a mule or a horse, or, or a donkey, whatever, is they don't put a stop knot in there. They get it around the neck. It chokes, cuts off that air just a little bit. That sends the mule into a completely different chemical state of mind, a survival state of mind, and it's flight, fight, or freeze. You And it's usually flight. They usually just run off and drag you. And if they still feel too contained, they that's when you get some of the fight coming on. Then that's when you get run over. Um. So make sure you have a stop knot on there. Number two, when you do get a rope on them, don't try to hold them or contain them. Just go with them a little while. Like everybody wants to get a rope and like snub them up to a post. That's that's not going to help you. That's not going to make you a desirable person to be around, a desirable person to, to, to come up to and let be caught. So how you go about trying to catch these mules, your attitude about that is going to 
make a big difference too. I'm not so worried about catching them that I get in this predatory mode. But I would kind of go back to some of these beginner basics of just kind of getting to be around this yearling, getting it comfortable, walk up to it, get to where you can just pet it. Don't try to catch it. Don't even have a halter in your hand. Just get to where you can walk up and pet it. No worries. If they're really scared of you, put them with one of your other mules or horses that are super friendly. This is one of my favorite things to do is I'll stick these weanlings or these yearlings with something else that is really, really friendly that will come up to the gate and, and be there. We just got a weanling. Her name is Rain. And I, we get home and she's hanging out with a mule named Bella out here who's also actually a new mule but is super sweet and friendly. And that's who Rain is hanging out from. Bella is very quiet, very easygoing, and also really loves people. And so that's who Rain gets to hang out with. And guess what? Rain is following her around. She's acting just like her. So when Bella gets caught, guess who wants to be caught? Rain. When I'm petting on Bella out there, guess who wants to be pet on? Rain. And so you can put your, your yearling with, with something else like that. Um, and I wouldn't suggest having the two yearlings together if they're both a little touchy. If one is really friendly, that might be okay. But I would still recommend having something that is more confident, more mature, older, so that because sometimes even that really friendly yearling maybe um, is fine usually, but then the scared one takes off running. A lot of times the friendly one will just go with them. Whereas if you had an older, more mature mule or horse, the baby takes off, the older, mature horse or mule just going to hang out with you. So those are some things I do to get things going again. And then back to the hooking on when you get to working on that check on the body position smaller transitions the first time i come i may i might just work at a walk you don't need to trot you don't need to lope right off the bat um take your time and build that so you can build that draw thanks for the question hunter i hope those uh suggestions help you let me let me know what you think here Okay, uh, next question is from Lisa Kreiser. I bought a mule this summer. She has she had shoes on when I got her. The first time I had the fairy out to work on her feet, she did fine with the front and the back left, but when it came to doing her back right, she freaked out and wouldn't let us touch it. I don't want to have to drug her to, to do her feet. The farrier is thinking that she might have been hot nailed on that hoof. If that is the case, how can I get her over that? I do notice that there are times when she's out grazing that for some reason she really raises that leg up pretty high and is not normal. And it's not normal. Uh, please help me uh, to help her so we both can have a much more pleasant hoof trimming. Thank you. All right, Lisa. A um, couple things going on here. Uh, your, your comment there at the very end about her raising her leg pretty high when she's just out in the pasture might lead me to believe that it's it's not really a, a p picking up the hoof problem or a shoeing problem or a trimming problem, but rather there may be something physical hurting her. Um, you know, uh, maybe her stifle, maybe her hawk, maybe uh, something going on up in the hip. Um, it could be, uh, it could be anything. I mean, I, I really have no idea you know, just from, from what I just read, what's going on. But I would, I would be led to believe that she likely has some kind of physical pain going on that is causing her to not want to lift that leg. So I would recommend having a professional, having a, a you know, your vet, maybe check, check her out, maybe do some x-rays, maybe do a little, little visual exam and see what's going on there. That might help give you a place to start Lisa um, I'm no veterinarian so I can't give you any kind of advice there other than to talk to a vet because it, it might be something physical um, now a lot of times we we get to blaming um, uh, you know the problems just simply on the behavior um, Oh, she's she's bad to trim. She's bad to shoe. She, whatever. Um, when it, it, a lot of times it is physical pain, and then a lot of times we blame, 
you know, a lot of things on physical pain when it's, it is behavior, when they just don't know how to pick up a foot. So rule out the physical stuff first, Lisa, and then we can talk about the behavior. So as for the behavior, now I like to teach my mules to lead by all four feet. Um, it's a process. It takes time and you have to kind of keep working at it, but I would just get a, I like to use a 50 or 60 foot lariat rope, nice, soft, triple X soft poly, uh, with an aluminum Honda. And I will, uh, basically I'll, I'll set a loop up, set a little trap. I'll back the mule into the loop to pick up a hind foot. Um, there's ways to hang a trap off of the hip of the mule, or you can just kind of put it out there and step back and then pick up on it, whatever. Um, but nonetheless, I'm going to get a, a rope around her, around her back foot there, um, just above the hoof. And I am going to teach the mule to give to a little bit of feel on that rope. Um, so I just start by putting a little pressure on that rein, that rope. And the second the mule even tries to pick up the foot or give at all, or even just flick that foot at all, I'm going to give back. And I'll do this until I can easily just pick up the foot and set it down. Pick it up and set it down. Pick it up and set it down. And I and then after a period of time, I get to where I can pick it up and I can hold it up. And I'll work my way up that rope doing this. And it might take you a few days. You might just do a little bit each day, just a short 15-minute session each day. But it might take you a few days. And then at some point, you can walk up that rope and... And then start touching that leg and pick up that leg and set it down. Pick up the leg and set it down. And you kind of have the rope there to help you. If they start to kicking or something, then you just go back to the rope. You back off a little bit so you don't get kicked. But you can keep holding that rope. And I would just teach the mule to lead by a hind foot. The other thing, and and this is something I just did yesterday. I, I put shoes on one of our mules here yesterday. And uh, a little heavy on the hind end likes to really put her weight into me, lean on me really bad. Yeah, man, I hate shoeing. <laughs> I tell you that. I, uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for farriers because my gosh, it, it is, it is work. It's nothing but work. And, um, anyways, so, you know, the, the mule was having a hard time. And so what I would do is I'd, 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 uh, take the nippers and I trim just a little bit and I set the foot back down. Pick the foot back up after a little rest. Nip a little bit more hoof off. Okay, set it back down. Pick it back up and then rasp it. Set it back down. Pick it back up. Finish rasping it. Set it back down. Pick it back up. Check my shoe size. Set it back down. Go back and I shape my shoe a little bit. I come back. Check it again. Set it back down. Finish shaping it probably because it takes me a few rounds. I'm not that great. And then come back and and then I I I nail. Uh, put two nails in just so that hoof or that shoe will stay on the hoof. Okay. Set it back down. And I grab a couple more nails and I put one more nail in, set it back down, pick it up again, put another nail in, set it back down. So I'm not trying to hold this hoof up this whole time when the mule's having such a difficulty doing it. I, I take a little bit and, and then get something done, put it back down. And, and that helps too. So maybe doing that, having your farrier do that process might help you too. Anyways, great question, Lisa. I hope those suggestions help you. Uh, let me know what you think. Okay, next question comes from Larry Essink. Uh, Larry, hope you're doing good. Um, hope I said your last name right, sir. Um, Larry writes a uh, question on the Mule Rock Crawling Clinic. So he's, he's talking about my extreme trail riding clinic that I do here in Utah. How do you condition your mules for that? How would a flatlander condition for that? How about their feet? It didn't look like they had any sho they had shoes. Can you elaborate? Um, okay, Larry. Uh, as for conditioning, you know, you don't have to necessarily have mountains, you know, climbing up and down to 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 condition for that. Although it definitely helps. Uh, you know, it, it it helps a ton. But you know. If you can find some small hills to go up and down, 
really build that hind end. And and really, Larry, it's all the moves we teach in our in our snaffle bit checklist. If you can do all those, you're building all the muscles necessary to be able to do that extreme trail clinic and be able to do those jumps and be able to crawl up that stuff and and get all the elevation gain and the elevation drop. Um, you know, just ride. Riding regularly will do a lot of good. Um, and you'll be surprised how tough these mules are. Um, but the better in shape they are, the easier it's going to be for them. So, you know, but that doesn't mean just trail miles, just poking down the trail is not good. If you're just walking flat on the trail, you just go down the trail. Don't do a lot of stuff on that trail, meaning turning, stopping, backing, transitions up and down, side pass, leg yields, move the hinds, move the front. If you're just poking down the trail, you're not building a lot of muscle. But if you're going through that, you're working on this, you're working on building that soft feel, building that collection, building the self-carriage, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And as for their feet, I, I rode with shoes out there. Um, you know, and if you're coming from some soft country, some soft soil, or a lot of my friends that come from back east, you know, where, where the soil is more moist, you guys have more moisture, uh, these hoofs are going to be softer. Um, then you're going to get out to Utah in this sand, and it's so dry out here, the sand just sucks any moisture out of those feet. <laughs> they, I mean, it just pulls it out. The hoofs will be so dry and hard. And, and sometimes coming from the moist areas, coming to this desert, uh, you'll be surprised on how easy those hoofs can get chipped up. So I recommend you do come with shoes on. Yes, it's added difficulty. It's uh, very much more so dangerous, um, but you're not going to get them sore on the hoof. Uh, so shoes aren't a big deal. Um, and some people do ride with some borium on the, uh, you know, on the, on the shoes. That helps in some situations. In some situations, it makes it worse. Um, but it does help a little bit of grip there, you know. Uh, but you know, if you ride barefoot all the time, then they'll be just fantastic. If if you ride with shoes, you know, I wouldn't recommend you pull the shoes off. So, good question, Larry. That clinic was fantastic. I'll be having, I'll have a little, uh, a, uh, a little debrief on that clinic shortly coming up. So watch for that in future episodes. Okay. Uh, and our last question for this show today, um, comes from France. Anu, Anu Nathan, I hope I said your name right. Sorry, Anu or Anouk. Nathan, hello, I'm from France and I really appreciate your work with mules. It already helped me when I followed your everyday mulemanship challenge, uh, everyday mule challenge. Um, recently, I subscribed to your video library. I still have many questions. One of them is how do you teach a mule to pick up a lope from trot or walk without accelerating the trot. Another one. One of my mules stops well, but is heavy and stiff and turns when I pick up a rein. He always starts by saying no and a brace uh, before giving. Uh, when he does, does that, he nevertheless turns but resists in the neck and mouth like a wood stick. I always manage to finally curve him more or less. Um, I practice lateral work a lot. Shall I go on with lateral work, or is there something else I can do to improve this? Okay, your first question about getting to the lope from a trot or walk without accelerating the trot. Um, you know, really, you got to start s small. So you you do work on going. Okay, trot a little faster. Let them go into the lope. The, the main thing to really get a good uh, canter departure from any transition walk or trot or even from the stop a good canter departure there is to let the mule find it themselves and and enjoy enjoy shifting into that gear if you make them if you hustle them if you kick them into that every time if you make them go into that every time they're going to have they're going to have a little resentment there they're not going to enjoy it. it's not going to be the easy thing so you got to make loping easier and so you do work on it. You trot as fast as you can, and then you let them roll over into the lope on their own without you pushing them into it. You get good at this. And then, and then uh, 
you get it sharper from that trot to where you can have just a nice low trot. You, maybe I want to lope off to the left. I'll get my right leg back, tip the nose a little to the left, and I'll just have put a little feel in my calf right there. And I'll think about the lope, and I will start riding the lope in my seat. I'll start riding the mule like they're loping, and I'll help them find that, and I'll try to sharpen up that. So I get it good from the trot to the lope before I ever try to work at it from the walk to the lope. As soon as that's going good, then I start working on the walk. I'll walk, and I'll, I'll walk a little faster. I'll get a faster walk. I'll come in there with my leg, the same as I just said, and I'll get them to pick it up from that walk. And after they're pretty sharp at the walk, and this all takes weeks and weeks and months and months, okay? This is not just, I'm going to do this today, and it's going to be there. The trot might take a couple of months from the trot to the lope. Then, then the walk to the lope might take a couple of months, and then from from the stop to the lope is is probably one of the most difficult and if you don't have your if you don't have things real sharp at the walk and the trot then it'll it's basically impossible to do it from the standstill to get that canter departure but if you can get it pretty good at the walk and the trot the canter departure shouldn't be that big of a deal because as soon as you shift the weight in your seat and you think about it your intention makes a big difference there then it'll come along. So really it's, it's just a process there. Uh, and it does start with, yeah, accelerating the trot and getting them to roll into the lope easily. And then you get to where you don't have to accelerate the trot. You can just be trotting a nice slow trot and then ask for it. And then a nice walk. Maybe you got to build up to a fast walk and then roll into it. Eventually you can just walk and roll right into it. It's a process. So, um, just take your time. And use your intention and be very particular. Now, as far as the uh, the mule that is heavy and stiff in the turns, um, you know, think about how well they can operate on a loose rein through your groundwork. How well can you do this on the ground? How well are they staying light and keeping that rein loose when you're on the ground? Think about that. You you build that, you build your loose rein on the ground, your willingness on the ground. When you get in the saddle, it should be the same thing. You know, I don't want to have to make contact all the time. So usually building a nice light rein comes from you being aware of how you're picking up on your rein. Remember, your rein is for headset and direction. Your rein is not for pulling the feet somewhere, pushing the feet somewhere. So you you say you're trying to roll the hinds. Well, you should only pick up your rein and just have their head bent to 90. And then your rein should just be stationary in the air and your legs should be doing the rest. You wouldn't pull harder to get them to move one way or the other. So focus on building that loose rein on the ground. Focus on keeping that rein for headset and position and let your legs and your seat do a little bit more. So, so set the rein up for success. Let your seat and your legs do the rest. Good question there, Anu. All the way from France. Well, friends, it's been another good uh, Mule Tip Tuesday hanging out with you. I appreciate you guys listening. I would really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave a review. And if you have a question, don't be shy. Send me an email ty at tsmules.com and be sure to put in the subject line question for the podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. God bless you, and we'll see you down the road.